politics and football combined for the start of the Georgia legislature. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein. And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If it's your first time joining us, welcome, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And be sure to rate us and review us while you're there because it really helps us grow the show. And Patricia, you know, we've done so many shows from either our homes or from cars or hotel rooms. In this case, uh, I have a new backdrop. I'm in the Cleveland airport. So if our listeners hear from the intercom about Delta flights leaving or bags being found or uh, missing phones, you know why. I'm on my way back from the Georgia national title game in Los Angeles with a four-hour layover in Cleveland. So uh, that is why there's a, there's a bit of background noise from where my, I am. Yes, we thought that scheduling you for a four-hour layover would do the best for the AJC and our podcast. So thank you for booking accordingly. And Greg, I would say Uh that you're living your best life, except I know that you were in the ER about an hour before you ended up uh, heading up to Los Angeles to go to the game. And we can talk about that later. (laughs) But I was so startled. I knew you were out there having a blast. And then I um, opened Twitter. And I love finding out that you're in the ER on Twitter. I opened Twitter and there's Greg with a a mask. Yet you can tell you have a huge smile on your face. And obviously the worst has passed because you look completely fine. (laughs) But I'm glad you're okay. I was worried for about three seconds. And then I knew you were fine. I think my mom found out about it that way too. So not not my that's smartest not, move. That's not good. That's not <laughs> but my good. wife did not, which is good. Um, <laughs> well, you're right, Patricia. And we can get all into that in this episode. And we're also going to talk about the start of the legislative session, what to expect from Governor Kemp, Burt Jones, the incoming lieutenant governor, and lawmakers from here on out. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Okay, Patricia, football and politics have gone hand-in-hand with, with in Georgia long before Herschel Walker's campaign. Um, we knew that Governor Brian Kemp is a diehard football fan. He had multiple campaign events in Athens, not just in 2022, but also in 2018. We've seen presidential candidates stump in Athens. Jeb Bush had an SEC tailgate trend. And certainly that extends to the beginning of this legislative session, which of course coincided with the national title game, the Georgia route over TCU. And I saw a number of politicians out in L.A. at the game 
Governor Brian Kemp even administered the oath of office to State Representative Houston Gaines, which was, I think, one of the more unique stories. He can tell his grandkids one day he got the oath of office from the stands of SoFi Stadium. Uh, Casey Carpenter, Stacey Evans was there. Chris Carr was there, the Attorney General. And it's somewhat of a surprise, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones was not there. And he's a former player on the UGA football team back in the uh, about 20-something years ago. But a lot of politicians did, and it... What was your perspective from Atlanta? Was it a more subdued start of the legislative session? So I started the day Monday down at the state capitol. So Monday was the day of the national championship, of course. And when I was walking in, Casey Carpenter was walking out. And this was the the first day of the legislative session. It was when they were um, every new and actually old, every single member of the state House and Senate was getting sworn in. So it's a huge day and it's required attendance. You can't skip the first day or else you're not going to get sworn in unless you've made other arrangements as Houston Gaines did uh, out in Los Angeles. Um, but so, yeah, they all have to be there. So I was walking in, uh, Casey Carpenter was walking out, and he had already changed into his Georgia gear. He was already wearing his Georgia T-shirt, his Georgia hat, and had the biggest smile on his face. So you could tell he was out of there so fast. And then there were a number of other members there who we knew would be out in Los Angeles somehow, some way. I don't know if they flew commercial, if they booked a charter, if they grabbed a ride with somebody who was already going out there. That All of that remains a bit murky to me. I'd love it if you could shed some light on that with some future reporting. I don't know. Um, but it also led to, along with the fact that it was opening day of the General Assembly, it led to this unbelievably excited, anticipatory, and really gleeful atmosphere down there. And sometimes it can feel a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit dicey. People are a little wary of what's going to happen. And this was just sheer joy, even for people who didn't go to Georgia. Everybody down there on the floor of the State House, Florida State Senate, tons of red and black. There was a big sign on the, um, at the state senate that said gone fr- what is it called gone frog gone happen? what what is that Gigan, Gigan what is that called? gone froggin of like- some sort so yes and people were just unabashed they're like we're here for a second we're leaving and then of course they gaveled out very quickly everybody was done with work by noon so that people could either go to los angeles or head home and uh get ready to watch the game so it was uh a little bit of work and people were all in complete agreement that they had done the only important thing they needed to do that day for the assembly. And then they were on their way to go watch the game. And as we mentioned earlier, it also means a delay of a schedule. The eggs and issues breakfast is Wednesday. The governor's inauguration is Thursday. They made sure to assign it on Thursday rather than making it Tuesday or Wednesday because they knew so many people might be going to LA if Georgia made the national championship, which of course happened. And this is not the first time the schedule had to be delayed or rearranged because of a title game. We saw this happen last year in Indianapolis where the fight song was played on the Georgia House floor. Uh, And we also saw that back in 2018 when the national championship game against Alabama was actually in Atlanta. And even then, lawmakers took a break that day. They, uh, they They had a shortened schedule so everyone could get ready for tailgating down at Mercedes Benz that evening. I can tell you, Patricia, the atmosphere in LA was electric. I didn't hang out with many. I I, I saw some of those lawmakers. I saw Casey Carpenter because when Casey Carpenter goes to these games, he goes big. In Indianapolis, he had had like an end zone suite 
on the on one of the I can't remember which end zone it was. It was Georgia Alabama, but he had one of the end zone suites. And this game, he had a it was like a field level suite, kind of du- in a dugout, <laughs> almost. It was I can't imagine the view is that good, but they were on the field level behind the players on the Georgia sidelines. So basically, every time I ran back and forth on that, uh, and I'll t- we'll go into that a little bit. But every time I was running around the field, I'd always see Casey. <laughs> and near the end of the game, he asked for a field edition. And I gave it to him, and I almost got in a little trouble for that, but, I'll, but we can talk about that as well. <laughs> um, so on Sunday night, the night before game day, there is also the annual event called the Wild Hog Supper that happens down at the Georgia Freight Depot. It sort of is the annual kickoff event for the session, and there were a number of new members down there. Brad Raffensperger ended up going. Despite the fact that it's called the Wild Hog Supper, it's actually sort of a... Somebody asked me, what am I supposed to wear to a hog supper? It's actually relatively uh, formal, um, and it's a chance for all of the lawmakers to get together, uh, see each other, some of them for the first time since they've been elected. There were a number of freshmen down there, and then also for Democrats and Republicans. There's just a lot more cross-pollination than I think people really understand. And so you could see something like that happening at the Wild Hog Supper. It was also the first really formal event for John Burns mixing and mingling with all of the new members of the State House and State Senate the night before he was sworn in as speaker and an event also for others just to sort of get their arms around the session. I think what is very clear from talking to members is they just don't have a solid idea of what's coming because there is new membership for, I mean, new membership, of course, but also new leadership in the state house with the new speaker, also Mm -hmm. new majority leader, new whip. And then over on the Senate side, not only is there a new Lieutenant governor and Burt Jones, it's a new Senate majority leader, new Senate president pro tem. So just totally new faces and leadership. And so that really has an effect on how quickly they can get the session rolling. You know, the fact that they are missing a day of session on Tuesday mm-hmm. was really immaterial because there is not a lot of work to be done other than organizing. They really can't start organizing. They can't start assigning to committees. They can't start that committee work until they've got their members. So all of this back-end stuff sort of starts on day two. And so all of that was continuing. But you could really tell from the Wild Hog Supper, I asked a number of incoming lawmakers, what are you expecting? And they said, I just really have no idea. <laughs> I don't know what to expect. <laughs> Talk to a number of veteran lawmakers, ask them what issues they're going to be working on. And it's a number of, you know, small targeted items, particularly in healthcare. I hear a lot about healthcare, I hear a lot about mental health, quite a bit about public safety, those kinds of things. But these are all these sort of individual, tailored, narrow fixes that people can come into a session knowing they're going to be working on. But then other, the kind of other big ticket items really still have to be hammered out. Next week is going to be budget week down at the General mm-hmm. Assembly. And so the House and Senate appropriators, um, for him, they still need to have their committees created. They need to get all of their committee members assigned to those panels. Then they have to come up with a state budget, have all of those people come in for hearings and uh, really start to hammer out the budget. The budget's the only thing that legislatively these lawmakers are required to do by Constitution. Everything else that is just, frankly, optional and sometimes ill-advised. Yeah. <laughs> but they'll be um, down there doing it anyway. But it, it just really does feel like it's a session that is still slow to gel, and it may get going quickly. But um, so far, at least on Sunday night, it was just a lot of people, not quite deer in the headlights, but really just waiting to see what was going to be coming at them. I like how you put that. It's, it's a session. It's uncertain because we don't know how the 
top three leaders really interact. Burt Jones, Lieutenant Governor, John Burns, the new speaker, Governor Kemp, who of course is not new, but he'll be new to interacting with those other two leaders uh, and pushing across his agenda. And we don't really know what their agendas will be either. But right now it seems like bipartisanship reigns. Um, the two nights before the Wild Hog Supper, I went to what you could call the Wild Brisket Supper. It was a uh, first ever, the inaugural Legislators Shabbat dinner at my synagogue at Congregation B'nai Torah in Sandy Springs. And it was uh, co-hosted by Esther Panich, an incoming Democratic state lawmaker from Sandy Springs, and Todd Jones, a veteran Republican lawmaker from the exurbs. And both of them invited their entire caucuses. And you had dozens of state lawmakers go to Friday night services at the at B'nai Torah, mostly Hebrew. Um, it was a lot of Hebrew. I was looking around the room, doing the prayers, and a lot of lawmakers were hanging in there, and they were trying trying their best at, uh, at doing some uh, hardcore Hebrew prayers. And afterwards, there was a great luncheon, and, and bipartisanship was the theme of the night. It was, look, there's going to be a lot of tough times ahead. There'll be a lot of divisions and policy divides, but the rabbis and the organizers were encouraging, Rabbi Joshua Heller was encouraging the attendees to just remember that night, remember that spirit doing those tough times ahead because, you know, as we know, most legislation under the Gold Dome passes either unanimously or with broad, broad consensus. It's the issues that, you know, get that big divide that we end up talking and writing about the most, and those are, of course, because they're key divides. But that was a great event. Sunday was another bipartisan. And then on Monday, when Speaker Burns was elected, it was unanimous. It was by acclamation. Yeah, it was by acclamation. And I cannot tell you how different the organizing uh, first day was for lawmakers in Georgia versus lawmakers in Washington. I mean, in Washington, you've just, it was obviously international news. It was absolute, total chaos. A lot of, oh my goodness, just Republicans going at each other's throats. Literally, we saw sort of a a very heated exchange between Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. I mean, these are Republicans, even people inside the Freedom Caucus just ripping each other to shreds over this unbelievable battle over who was going to be speaker and what were the rules going to be for the House. You know, fast forward to Monday at the Georgia Capitol, and it was just the near total opposite. Even though these are Republicans running both chambers, it was just such a different environment, such a different vibe. When John Burns gave his speech, he said that his goal is to serve members of the House, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, old members or new members, and he wanted everybody to treat each other with respect. If you go over to the state Senate, very similar message from John Kennedy, who is the incoming and now the new Senate President Pro Tem, and that is essentially the leader of the Senate along with the Lieutenant Governor, and Kennedy had lots of nice things to say about incoming Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones, but then he also said um, something that he did, he gave out blankets, tartan blankets to every member of the state Senate. He passed out these gift boxes and said, these, this is the official tartan of the state of Georgia. Who knew? I, he's obviously uh, got a Scottish background, so he was <laughs> handing out these tartans. But he said these are different colors and different, you know, fibers woven together. They're different, but together they're stronger. You know, obviously working through this, me- working this metaphor pretty hard. Um, but saying this is my gift to you, and I want you to remember that we're all in this together, Democrats and Republicans alike. And my office is here for you, and we are going to not just hear you, but listen to you, and 
my staff is treating everybody with respect. That's just, that. that's the way it's going to go. Um, now, it's the first day. There's plenty of time for everything to go off the rails. It might, sure. you know, but at least it started the way it started, which is night and day compared to what is being broadcast on C-SPAN. And I was even trying to think, like, why is it so different? I mean, these people are all from the same, you know, we have plenty of Georgia members up there in the absolute soup of this mess. Mm -hmm. Why do we have people from the same state acting so differently? I don't know if it's because it's on C-SPAN, if it's because you're raising money based on your viral moments, that then you can um, really hit the gas on and just raise, you know, donations from across the country. I don't know exactly why. Is it because the most extreme get elected out of gerrymandered house districts? I, I don't really know. I'm going to give that a little bit of thought. I guess it's, But, you know, we just have total, just night, just different worlds. Yeah, I think it's because they actually have to work with each other. <laughs> and they actually yeah. see each other. And they see each other socially. And it's not a surprise that this session started off on a bipartisan note, because most of them do. Most of them start off with this era of consensus. And some of them end that way, and some of them don't. And some of them end with Republicans fighting with other Republicans more than Democrats. And we've gone through those sessions plenty, too. Um, so we don't know how they'll end, but a lot of them do end on, do start on this bipartisan consensus-driven note, even after really tense elections like we just saw. We'll see how it ends, but this is how it starts. And, you know, it's a good sign, at least for those who want to see lawmakers from both parties work together. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about what's to come over the next few days. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. We are back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. We are two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. You can join the community right now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. So you always know what's really going on. Patricia, I am running on fumes here at the Cleveland airport in hour three of my <laughs> my layover coming back from Southern California. My trip started in a way I never thought it would start. I, uh, I had this brilliant idea to go to San Diego, rent a car, drive up from San Diego, meet up with my brother who was also visiting San Diego, meet up with some friends, pick up some other friends on the way up, and then go enjoy LA. And instead, I ended up <laughs> a couple hours after landing in the emergency room alone at the University of California, San Diego. Um, it was, uh, they had, I got great treatment, but let me tell you, it was a scary, scary couple hours because shortly after I landed, I felt this like 
immense pressure near my belly button. And I just thought, oh, I just need to go, you know, I just need to go to the bathroom. I'll get, I'll get rid of it. Thank you. And it just, yes. And it just kept on growing and getting more and more painful. And um, I tried to sleep it off and I couldn't sleep for even like 10 minutes. And as it kept on growing, I made them, you know, I did what most people do was I Googled it. And I was certain it was appendicitis because every single symptom except for one, except for fever, I was matching the pain, the side effects, all that. And I had tried, I was even like, I ordered DoorDash for some like stuff oh overnight that oh I thought God. could help me and it didn't help at all. And like we're three hours, three hours time difference. And so around, I don't know, three o'clock in the morning was six o'clock your time. And I called my wife and I was like, I don't want to scare you, but this is bad. Like, I'm going to have to figure out, either go to an emergency clinic or an emergency room because, and you know, she knows that doesn't, I, it takes a lot for me to get to that point. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> that is not part of who I am. Um, so she got freaked out. I said, don't worry, I will, I will check in with you. Calm down. And so I drove myself somehow. I don't remember driving myself oh my to the God. ER room, But... I lugged my suitcase and all my crap down to the ER. I was sure my appendix was about to burst. And I like struggled into the UC San Diego emergency room and they immediately triaged me. I mean, they were I not they having me hang out with everyone else. They were like, I was like, I think my appendix is about to burst. And all the doctors and the nurses kind of thought that way too. They were like, you have all the symptoms. It's either that or it might be something else. They said it was either trapped gas, which would have been <laughs> embarrassing, but but like not the worst, you know, it would have been embarrassing, but it wouldn't have been but not life threatening. Uh, bad. Yeah. Or they said it was a kidney stone or they thought it was a kidney stone. So they did all these tests and long story short, not long after I got there, the pain started going away. And it was after I did one of the, after I did one of the tests oh involved going to the bathroom. Oh God, and, and, you know, and they're like, huh, we're going to put two and two together. And they also did a bunch of tests that kind of backed it up. But like, you had a kidney stone and these little things going through your kidney and your ureter and all this other stuff oh going down Lord. can cause that much havoc. And like the moment it was pat, I felt like good as new. <laughs> I mean, I was ready to go, except for I had stayed up the whole night in agony. And when I say agony, I mean, like I was in a fetal position. I couldn't, there's nothing you could do to alleviate the pain I had. And so, and suddenly, uh, and the doctors there were great. And of all things, you'll love this. You know, Ron Brownstein from LA Times? Um, yeah. He was texting me because he saw my tweet about it. And he texted me and he goes, by the way, my son's a, a resident there. And his son, it wasn't the resident who treated me, but I, I was listening to all this drama out in the halls because it's a, it's a very busy emergency room. And his son was one of the doctors dealing with an unruly patient out in the halls. So um, very small world. I got world-class treatment there. The doctors followed up with me and I was able to walk right out of the hospital, jump in my rental car, pick up my buddies who were in Encinitas, which is a suburb just north of San Diego, and drive up to L.A. and we had a blast yeah. <laughs> but it was a very 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 long and I, I crashed pretty hard I hung out with some of the AJC guys who were staying at the same hotel and it was all the youngsters it was like it was Sarah Spencer and Gabe Burns and um, and some of their like fellow younger reporters and I was like guy it was like 11.45 I was like 
I can't make it five more minutes. <laughs> I stayed up all night. And I was in the yard ER this morning. I'm crashing. So I hung out with my friends, hung out with them, and then got a full night, eight hours sleep. Well, Craig, that was that's a great story because it has a very happy ending. Very happy, healthy, moving on, well enough to go drinking the night the next night in LA. So congratulations. And I mean, my God, I was gonna come do a wellness check. I'm like, are you okay? It's very alarming. But you literally look good as new and you know, well enough to watch the dogs win for a second time in a row. So everybody wins. Everyone wins. And I had a unique experience there too at SoFi is like this multi, multi, multi billion dollar stadium. It was pouring down rain um, outside. And the way they built the roof, you could still feel the rain inside. It was very strange. It was just a mist. Um, but I have, uh, just as we said in an earlier episode, when I talked about what I do with the games, I help our photographers. I'm a runner for the photographers, so I help ingest and do minor editing for their photos before we send it out to the real editors back in Atlanta who actually move the photos and edit them. There's a guy, do you, can you hear that? He's like smashing bagels. Is that bagels? It sounds like construction. You can hear it. He's like smashing bagels. Okay. But my other duty, Patricia, is bringing in the field editions for the AJC to celebrate a dog's whim. And so before I left, I was given about 100 editions, maybe 75 editions of the AJC's field copy, put it in my backpack, and it was ready to go um, deliver them. And I did it for Peach Bowl uh, just a few days ago. I've done it for numerous games. And, I've, and unfortunately for Georgia fans, I've also had to throw away many of them for games that we didn't win. But in this case, there was a little bit more security. They said no backpacks were allowed on the field. And so what I could do is I could have just brought near, near the end of the game, I could just walk them to the stadium. But I decided just in case, you know, just in case officials didn't like that, being too overt about it, we took some more indirect routes. I had friends who got one of those field-level boxes that Casey Carpenter got, and so I walked a bunch of them, 50 or so of them, around with my friends, and then me and another uh, uh, runner carried them in, sort of, uh, you know, under our arms, and we started dispensing them, and Casey Carpenter wanted one, and right as I was about to give it to him, a security guard like, comes right up to me. He goes, what are you giving out? He thought I was giving out contraband or something. I was like, it's just a field edition of the AJC. Um, but I got them out to players, and then after I ran out of the ones I actually walked in, I went over to my buddy's box where I distributed them earlier and got another 30 copies there, and we got them to cheerleaders and players, and we got them to Kirby Smart. It was a very, very satisfying ending to another fun season it was a little anticlimactic compared to indianapolis where there was so much like emotion and pressure and anxiety that was such like a relief in this case it was more of a a celebration yes well i think when you win by more than 60 points people kind of know how it's going to go but you still can't not be excited about a second national championship and i'm sure that when the house gavels in on Wednesday, there will be a hype video because there has been one every time the Bulldogs do something like this. And so that'll be another chance for people to wear their red and black. And um, sure enough, that legislature is not going to let go of these dogs. And I hope I don't see any other lawmakers on the four hour layover in Cleveland. So um, I hope they got closer, at least more direct flights than I did. Um, so Patricia, the next couple of days are going to be super busy at the Capitol because there's been this lull over the holidays and now it really ramps up. We have eggs and issues on Wednesday where lawmakers are going to talk a little bit more about business-related policy. I expect them to talk about workforce development and housing 
for workforce development because all these huge job developments, SK Battery, Hyundai, Rivian, Q-Sales, they are all calling for thousands of employees, which means thousands of Georgians need to get trained to work. And these are employees who need places to live and sometimes in areas that are more sparsely populated. So I expect a lot of focus on workforce development and housing. And I also think we're going to hear a little bit more about the governor's budget proposals as that relates to workforce development over the next few days. So that'll be one of the many things we're watching in the near term. Yeah, that's such a great point. All of these economic development projects are going into areas that are right now literally hayfields. They are in what feels like the middle of nowhere. Um, They are in very sparsely populated areas. And because of that, that's why there is all of this acreage that's available to develop these mega sites. So that is the good news. The bad news is that, first of all, they're very small rural communities. In many cases, that people who live there really don't want to change. They don't want them to stop being small rural communities. But you know, be that as it may, change is coming probably. Um, But then also to your point, when you put some of these factories there, then you have to start talking about, and this is already happening out near Rivian, you have to start talking about subdivisions, roads, pipes, plumbing, schools, you know, places for people to eat lunch, grocery stores, just all of the amenities that come with basically creating an entire small city from whole cloth. And so that is going to require an immense amount of infrastructure, um, obviously an immense amount of funding for that infrastructure, and then really starting to think long term about how to connect these communities. Um, I-16 is not big enough. I mean, this is this is weird. This is not going to cut it yeah. in the long term for all of these tons of things coming in out of the ports, out to the ports, over rail, over the roads. This legislature, I think, is going to be the first that really has to wrestle with the sort of the the work that comes along with all of this good news. And I'm sure because it's the Eggs and Issues Breakfast, sponsored by the Chamber, obviously business is their focus. And so that's going to be the exact audience that these lawmakers are going to have to deliver that news to. Then also, we'll definitely hear from the governor about his own agenda. He's been real light on the details. He didn't say a whole lot in his own campaign about what he planned to do in the future. There was a big AP article about his plans and the role he wants to play in the future. And the headline was Brian Kemp is done being underestimated, essentially laying out Brian Kemp as the potential leader of the non-Trump vision of the GOP future. Um, And that'll include what he does here in Georgia. And I think we all expect a lot of that to be very focused on the economy. That's what he was campaigning on. That's what he sees his successes as. But he's going to continue to, I think, uh, push that out to individual people. And he said he promised that he would do that. I think we'll hear more details about that in his inaugural speech. Then, of course, next week is budget week. And after that, the session really starts to to form a little bit more specifically. We'll see these committees start to meet. We'll see the issues that individual lawmakers start to bring forward. I was talking to a GOP leader um, and said, you know, what do you expect? And uh, the answer was, well, you know, this bucket, this bucket, this bucket, and who the hell knows? <laughs> because with so many members, they literally just don't know. I mean, lawmakers can just come in with bills that they wrote with their next door neighbor, and many do, and uh, propose it. And, you know, if they can get it in front of a committee and get a hearing, sometimes those things really catch fire. And so we'll have to see what those are going to be. And that's why Kemp's role is so unique here, because he is 
that last member of the triumvirate who, who's still in power over the last four years in Georgia politics. He has this mandate. I didn't read that article you, you mentioned, but we've written many times that Governor Kemp is sort of this unchallenged leader of the Republican Party now after he defeated David Perdue, after he defied Donald Trump's demands to overturn the election and still not only beat a Republican challenger backed by Trump, but also beat Stacey Abrams by eight points. And going forward, as Republicans seek out models of uh, the non-Trump lane, there are many, there, there are others other than, than Governor Kemp. Glenn Youngkin comes to mind, of course, Chris Christie. There's others, but Governor Kemp is going to be one of those who is mentioned, and he'll be mentioned as a potential running mate. He might even be mentioned as a presidential candidate. And it's going to be very, very interesting to see how he tries to navigate that, what issues that he wants to put front and center, if he wants to try to make the session one that starts to build a different sort of legacy, and if he wants to start aspiring to more national aims this legislative session. If he goes after policy proposals that really seek to attract attention beyond Georgia, we'll see. Um, but I know that he has $6.6 billion plus <laughs> in the surplus. That doesn't mean you can go go spend it all. A lot of it's already prioritized for other projects and other pieces of his agenda that he's already outlined, including more than $2 billion for tax refunds. But there is that sort of money that Stacey Abrams put in the center of her campaign, talking about generational opportunities for change. Well, Governor Kemp, you know, we don't know how much of that money he intends to spend and how he intends to spend it. That'll be a huge part of the debate in Georgia. But of course, there's a policy proposals. Republicans still have a solid majority in both chambers. It's slightly narrower, and they've got to deal with new leaders and also a lot of new members. And so we'll see how Governor Kemp and his allies in the legislature intend to harness those majorities and what policies, because he just didn't have to go stake out a very defined legislative agenda during his campaign. He made some promises. Most of them are fairly modest. They weren't stuff that's going to, um, you know, you're really going to write home about. They're important, but there weren't these dramatic, sweeping legislative proposals of the kind that Stacey Abrams had as she was trying to attract more attention to her campaign because Governor Kemp didn't need to. But now he does. And over the next few days, we're going to hear more about what he intends to do and if he's going to have a relatively conservative agenda, as in not politically conservative, but in terms of ambitious, uh, a conservative scope of agenda, or if he's going to go and, and do something more dramatic. And that's why this week is going to be extra interesting, Patricia. Yes. Something else that's going to keep this week interesting and also this whole session interesting is just how many new lawmakers are down there. And um, you mentioned that briefly, 53 new members of the House and Senate and about a fifth of all members down there are serving for the first time, which is really an unusually large uh, piece of the pie to be totally new, learning the ropes. And I mean, listen, it's like drinking from a fire hose. They just sort of assign you to committees and start talking. You're like, oh, okay, I don't know. Sure. So um, that's something that we can expect. Also, it is the most diverse in history. And I think that really reflects the direction that Georgia is going. There are 83 members down there now who are non-white, meaning obviously um, Latino, Asian American. Right now they have, or starting this year, they have the first Asian American Pacific Islander caucus down at the General Assembly, as well as the first Latino Legislative Caucus as well. Those are both bipartisan. And I think something that is, uh, they're 
many of them, a couple of them were started by Republicans as well as Democrats. They'll definitely be bipartisan. And I think it also reflects Republicans' intent to really start to cultivate more representatives and senators and candidates of color, as well as obviously voters of color as well. They really focused quite a bit on that in a way they hadn't quite before focused a lot on that. This election had more success than they'd had in the past. And so you'll really start to see a number of those faces down at the Capitol making a name for themselves this session as well. There's so much to watch and cover over the next couple of days. We can't wait to bring it all to you. And the next episode will be Friday and we'll be talking all about the governor's inauguration and the beginnings of his 2023 agenda as well as what Democrats have to say about it. Don't forget, you can now call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. That's 770-810-5297. Shaney B., our producer extraordinaire, is standing by. Well, I'm, I'm sitting down, sitting but down. I'm looking forward to taking your calls. And I'm looking forward to not being in Cleveland's airport in a few minutes. Thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, and whenever news breaks. We'll see you then on Politically Georgia from the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.